Well, good morning. That uh, little video really sets the tone for what we're going to talk about this morning as we get our hearts and our minds prepared to take the Lord's Supper together. So if you have your Bible, I would love it if you would open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul talks about communion. It's interesting, Paul really, when he talks about the the Lord's Supper as a body of Christ, as the church, he really places that as kind of the primary reason we gather. Sermons are important, singing's important, all of that, but he seems to really focus in on when we gather as a body of Christ, the Lord's Supper is, is central in our focus and our gatherings. And so I'm going to read a lot of this chapter beginning with uh, verse 17. It's, it's a long passage, but I think it's worthy of reading the whole passage because there is a lot in here. And Paul really even sets the tone in Scripture about not only the importance of the Lord's Supper, but we need to take it seriously. So let's read beginning in verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Could you imagine hearing that from Paul? Every time you gather together, there's more harm that takes place than good things. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result of this, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks The cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nonetheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not, so we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, 
you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us your word, and we thank you for that. It is the the word of God that you have inspired Paul to, to write, and we we learn from your word how to be more like you and what you are like and how those ahead of us have been corrected in the instructions that you want, not just for them, but for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd be in our midst and with the power of your spirit, would you bring things to light that we need to learn and we need to grow in. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul talks about the Lord's Supper, that moment that we break the bread and drink of the cup. And for me, growing up, anytime we had the, the Lord's Supper, you know, I would always think back of the cross, which is true. But what Paul in that passage unpacks is more than just looking back at the, the cross. He, he, he seems to expand on some things and give reference to some things and look at communion or the Lord's Supper in depth. And so what I want to do is just go through six different layers or elements that he talks about. Really what I'm doing is just, I, Mitchell said you're preaching on the Lord's Supper and I went back to my seminary notes and got great notes from a theology class I was in and I just think it's good for us to think about when it comes to this chapter and when it comes to communion. So the first layer that Paul talks about is looking backwards. When we come to communion, we look backward. And most of us know this. This is uh, you know, verse 24 where it says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance. Of me. We look backwards towards the cross and what happened at the cross, and I think most of us realize that or kind of know this aspect, but we need to be reminded of the gravity of what this means, of what Christ did for us, or what in theology they call substitutionary atonement. The reality that Jesus dies on the cross as a substitute for you and for me. Meaning Jesus died in your place. You deserve the cross. You should have gone to the cross. But Jesus as a substitute died for you. Substitutionary atonement. And that's what Paul gets at. And I I wanted to look back too, if you have your Bible, I don't know if it'll come up on the screen, but in verse 23, he says, um, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, and he also says before that, for what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you and betrayed. Those two words are similar. We don't see it in our, our, our translation, but they're similar words. Kind of, you, you, when, when you betray someone or you pass on something, you put something on someone's shoulders. 
And there's similar language. We know that Judas was present and he was the betrayer in that upper room. So yeah, that's a betrayal. But others talk about this idea we find in Isaiah 53 where not only is it just passed on, but it's, it, it, God put onto the shoulders the sins of the world onto Christ the Messiah. So I want to read a couple verses from Isaiah 53. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and he was afflicted by God. But he was pierced, pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on to him the iniquity or the sins of us all. So, so we, we see this, this powerful thing that Jesus died in our place, meaning that he, he suffered the pain. He had suffering. He, he suffered death. But, but Jesus not only takes on our, our sins and your burdens and your baggage, as we look at this context and look at Isaiah 53, he also takes on your punishment. He takes on the wrath. He takes on the justice. God is loving, but he's also just. And Jesus takes all of those things. Our sins, but also the punishment for those sins, which brings about healing, right? Which in Isaiah 53, it talks about we get healing from those things. So he is a substitute, substitutionary atonement in your place for those things. And when we come to the table, we remember what happened to Jesus, should have happened to you. And, and, and we, we, we stand at the table with God's wonderful grace. See, when it comes to communion and coming to the table, you have no right to stand in God's presence. But at the same time, you have every right to stand in His presence because you are in Christ because of what He did. I love this quote. It says, we don't come to the table to get forgiveness. We come to the table because we are forgiven. It's an amazing truth of what Christ did for us. And we come in as forgiven people looking back on what He did for us. The second layer that I want to talk about is we look back, but we also look forward. In, in verse 26, he says, gosh, the eye doctor was right. I think I am going to need bif like the bifocals pretty soon. 
getting old. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yes, we look back. Yes, we look the, remember the cross. But we also look ahead when he will make all things new. It's an amazing truth. There is hope in that perspective. There's hope in the day that Jesus promised and he will come back. And notice this. I love this. It says, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say do this in remembrance of the cross. No, do this in remembrance of me. All of me. Before we were all my ministry, before the, the beginning of the world, yes, my, my death and, 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 and the cross, but also three days later with the, the resurrection and what I'm doing now, I'm sitting at the right hand of God and one day I will come back. So when we remember, we remember all of Jesus. And there's hope in that. We look forward to a day when Jesus comes back. And a lot of the, throughout the Bible, when it talks about Jesus coming, or Jesus coming back, there's feasts that happen, which is pretty neat. I like feasts, and there's celebration. Um, I want to read a, a couple verses from Isaiah chapter 25, talking about Jesus coming. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine and the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud and enfold all the peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all the tears from their faces. We read about that in Revelation and he will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. And he says it's going to be a banquet. It's going to be a feast. In Matthew 22, the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. Revelation 19, we, John talks about this imagery of when heaven comes and, and heaven and earth come together. He said there's going to be a supper of the Lamb. That's an amazing thing. Jesus is the bridegroom. We, the church, are the bride, and we will come together, and there will be a wedding feast. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, it's just a glimpse of partaking in this little feast, but we look forward to when we have a, a great feast with a cup and bread face to face with Jesus. So maybe you're coming to the table today and life has been tough. Maybe you've had some hurts this week. Maybe you're looking forward to this this week and you're, you, you have some tough things to deal with. The hope is Jesus is coming back. This isn't going to be forever. Our hurts of this world, Jesus is coming back when He's going to make all things new, and we celebrate that. 
in communion. We celebrate the reality that he is coming back. Yes, we come sober-minded and we come with reflection, but at the same time, we also celebrate looking forward. The third layer is the looking inward. We examine ourselves, says in verse 28, everyone ought to examine themselves, examining ourselves, you take time to, to stop and, and think about that. Because he, he says some, when we don't do that, some are, are getting sick and lethargic and weak. And even falling asleep, which means death. Now this is a confusing chapter. And there's a lot of writing on this chapter. Many scholars don't even agree what really that means. That many are getting sick because of sin in our lives. And so what does that mean? I, I don't know. Ask Mitchell when he comes back. But he would probably say the same thing. It's a difficult passage to really understand the meaning of it. Some say, you know, it's uh, spiritually. When we're not living out Christ, we're not dealing with sin in our lives, spiritually people are, are, are weak. And spiritually people are dying. Which makes sense in this context. But any way we read it, we need to realize when we don't deal with sin in our life, it leaks and other people are affected. And we need to examine ourselves to make sure we're right in God's presence. And that's only done through confession and what Christ has done for us. And then fourthly, he says, basically look around. Look sideways, look left and right. Um, and this is the same verse, verse 29. Um, where it says, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. Notice, notice it's discerning the body of Christ, the, the church, those who you come together with, eat and drink judgment on themselves. You know, chapter 10, he talks about, there's this language of we as the church are a body. And, and we're one body. He talks about this in chapter 12 with the uh, giving of gifts and, and spiritual gifts and also 13, how we love. The, the body is important. And though we don't do it here, but like it would be one loaf of bread and you, as you peel off a piece of the, the loaf or you peel off a piece of the body, you are one of many parts that make up the whole. And so the body is important, and when we don't look around at the needs of each other, there's a problem with that. And, and he addresses that a little earlier on. He's talking to the Corinthians saying, you're doing this wrong. Because there are wealthy people who, who go early because they are probably the managers and they're in charge, so they get off work early, they go to the bathhouse, and they get there before everyone else, and they start eating. And they start drinking all the wine, that's why they're drunk. And then the poor people in the church, who are probably working the fields, can't 
come as early. So they, once their shift is over and they come and all the food has been eaten. And all the wine is gone and that's why they show up and these people are drunk and there's no food to eat. So he says some are going hungry. And basically what he's getting at is stop being selfish. You are all just consumed with your own selfish needs. And you're taking things apart from other people in the body. Therefore, other people are suffering. We need to look out for the interests of other people. It's an important thing. Who, who, who do I need to share some resources with? Maybe I need to give some money to some people who are struggling right now. Who do I need to pray for? Who, do, who needs encouragement right now? Who needs help? That's being part of the body. Unselfishly looking at the needs of people within the body. And of course it means, who have I wronged? Paul's pretty serious about when we come to the table and we have something against someone else in the body, we need to deal with that. Or if I've been hurt by someone in the body, I need to address that. Which is sometimes hard to do when we take communion and it's only like five or six minutes. It's like, gosh, I have to do all that while I'm just sitting through the song? Like, that's, it, it, that's hard to do. But in, in on context and how they used to meet regularly and it was long feasts, but a way to prepare, and maybe not this week, but next time we have communion, you know, Debbie Bowder sends out the emails. Communion's coming up next week. Praise God for Debbie Bowder. She, she does all those. You know how hard it is to get all the times right and the people's names right and the addresses and people get things in late. And so she, does, she works hard to get things out that are accurate. And so when you see an email and it says, we have communion next Sunday, as we prepare and Paul takes seriously as we, to how to prepare, during the week... Maybe that's when you need to call someone and say, hey, can we have coffee this week? There's something I need to talk to you about. Because that's hard to do during one song. Tap someone on the shoulder and say, excuse me, can we talk? I mean, do, no, we have a whole week to prepare those things. And we should. Jesus, Jesus takes this seriously as well. Not necessarily with the Lord's Supper, but Matthew 5 and the... Um, Sermon on the Mount, he, he says if you're offering a gift at the altar, which would be in Jerusalem with your sacrifice, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come back and make the sacrifice. So most of those people didn't live in Jerusalem, so they take this long journey to Jerusalem to, to give up their offering. God points out something that's in their life where they're not right with their brother, they have to leave it there and maybe go all the way out of town and deal with it. Point being, do we take this seriously? I think we as believers should be the best at giving forgiveness, offering forgiveness, and accepting forgiveness. I think we live in a world that is messed up. And if they look at a church that someone has wronged me or I've wronged someone and there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation, how it should be, I think that speaks volumes as people watch that and say, wow, 
That is powerful. Because Jesus says that. He, did, he, he says, go and be reconciled to your brother. There's a difference between reconciliation and just asking for forgiveness or giving forgiveness. That's one step, asking or saying, would you forgive me? The second step is reconciled, making things right again. Do we do that? Paul seems to think we need to learn how to do that if we don't, if we're to take serious the gravity of the Lord's Supper. Because sending a text message and an email, <laughs> I wouldn't call that reconciliation. Sometimes when I wrong someone and I you know, send an email or ask, I kind of think they're lucky they got an apology. It's like, no, this isn't, that's not right. We need to learn to meet people face to face and say, would you forgive me? And we need to be a people that see that and offer forgiveness. There's power in that. When we come to the table, it makes us deal with that. And we say, I'm at the table, and because of what Christ has done, nothing I deserve, and I stand in God's grace. And so do they. So maybe you've been sinned against or you've been wrong. Maybe you, when you come to the table, you need to release bitterness. You release malice. It's a time to release it. Anger. Sometimes we have a desire that someone would be punished. No, we, we come to the table when we release it and offer forgiveness and we forgive. Jesus says, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. And we, we take that serious as well. So I remember I, I'm forgiven and, and, and so are they. I am right with God and His grace, and so are they. I am loved by God, even though I am sinful. And so are they. The table forces us to think in these terms. Fifth, we look outward. In verse 26, it says, For whoever... For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's kind of outward. Those who do not know Jesus, you proclaim it. Yes, it's, yes, it's bread and yes, it's juice. It's tangible things. But Paul seems to say, no, you're proclaiming the, the death of Christ. You're proclaiming the life of Christ. And we proclaim it Actions speak louder than words. Jesus proclaimed the gospel. Heaven, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He vocalized the gospel. But through his actions, he lived and proclaimed the gospel by going to the cross that we might have forgiveness. There's a proclamation. And when we come to the table, we know that this 
taking this and how Christ has changed us, he poured himself out, he opened himself out for the needs of the people, and we as followers of Jesus do what he did, and who do we, who has he called us to open ourselves out and pour ourselves out proclaiming who Christ is through our words and through our actions. People in our families, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, people on my sports teams, who is God calling me to pour myself out on the needs of them? Proclaiming the gospel and how I treat them the words I use, how I build them up. We're changed people. And we remember that. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. Finally, six, it, it causes us to look upward. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. What does that mean? This is my body. And it's been misinterpreted for, for many years. You know, the Catholics, we differ on what they think this means. The, the Catholics believe that some metaphysical way that the bread literally becomes the body of Christ and, and, and the juice and the wine literally becomes the, the blood of Jesus, and when you ingest it, you're literally ingesting the blood and the body of, of Christ, and there's a sacrifice again as we're forgiving. I mean, in essence, that's what the Catholics believe, and we, and we differ from that. You know, as Christians, or we're, we're Protestants, right? So we protest some of those views, and, and that's why we had the Reformation and we don't believe that. And, and, and so, sometimes when we disagree with something like that, sometimes we go so far to the other side that we believe, oh, it's just symbolic. It's just bread, it's lifeless, and it's just a religious activity. And I don't think that's right either. And I can't explain it, nor does Paul really explain it, but I know when I go to the table and I commune with God, right? That's why it's called communion. We commune with God and the Spirit of God shows up and we engage with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit points out sin in our life and the Holy Spirit comes and re refreshes us and renews us and reminds us of the gravity of what Christ did for us. So can we explain it with word? No, it's tough to explain, but I know when I enter in, something spiritual happens and God is here in a very powerful way. You know, we lived in Europe for a few years, and when you go and you visit all the cathedrals and things, the, the architecture has changed since the, since the Reformation. Before the Reformation, you go in and the altar or the table is front and center, and they have the pulpit off to the side. Because this was most important every time we gather. And yeah, preaching is good, and we need it, but we, we come in this. After the Reformation, the Protestant churches, the Christian churches, have put the pulpit 
in the front. And the, the table is sometimes off to the side, or we bring in the table on the days we do communion. And it's just an interesting difference in, in, in our theology and what we think is important. And generally, if you were to just um, generally think, you know, many Catholics think that the Lord's Supper communion is the life of the church. And, and if we're thinking that way, you know, Protestants or Christians would say, you know, the, the Bible is the life of the church. And saying it that way, you know, who would be right? Neither. Jesus is the life of the church. When we go to the Lord's Supper and communion, it brings us closer to Jesus. When we preach God's word, when you read God's word on your own, it brings you closer to Jesus. Jesus is central. And he is the focus. And so when it's upward, a lot of times you read through the Bible and the authors talk about God being up. What does that mean? I don't know. But I'm pretty sure that's a metaphor. You know, because if you look up, but people, believers in China, when they look up, like it's, 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 I think it's a metaphor because when we talk about God, he is high and lifted up. He's transcendent, high above all things. And he's worthy of our praise and our worship. And when we come to the table, sometimes when you sing worship songs, our head kind of drifts up. And we look upward to his glory and his holiness. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts and get ready to come to the table together as a family. Lord God, thank you. I pray that as we come to communion today, you would allow us to look back or to remember the cross and be just thankful that we are forgiven people. I pray that we'd be able to look forward with hope and celebrate that you are coming back. And we have a taste of what that's going to be like when we have a, a feast with you, Lord. Pray that we can look around or look inward and would you point out things that are not right that we need to make right with you. And would you point out those relationships in our life that we need to make right, Lord. Maybe there's people we need to serve better or ask for forgiveness or make things right. Would you help us to look outward? Would you give us names and maybe even faces of people that you want us to pour out our lives in loving and proclaiming the truth of who you are? And would you be glorified? as we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.